So Harrison Price for Friday, February 9th, 2024, coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're looking for a getaway this Valentine's Day or extend a game night, call the wall 604-331-1000. Ask for the Sikerson Price rate. Some blackout dates may apply. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grady Sass, hitting switches, conducting things. we got a big show, and it's all brought to you. By Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan in Richmond. That's in the Richmond Auto Mall. So easy to get to. So easy to park and find, of course, uh, the Rogue and Cash Guys, two cornerstones of the Nissan lineup. The Rogue can get a 24-month lease on the 23s with 0% on select trims. And on the Cash Guy, 36-month leases with 2.99% on all the trims for the 2023s. Go see them now. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. Did the loss to the Bruins reveal anything that concerns you? You can vote yes or no. Secure some price on Twitter and YouTube. And if you are voting yes, please uh, specify. Get in the comments. Let us know exactly what concerns you. Uh, I ask you first, Blake Price, there's anything from last night? Um, yeah, the 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 uh the power kill, the oh, penalty play, uh whatever that's called. Shorties um, uh, in three shorties games. of plenty. Uh, you know, we 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 saw this uh to some degree in the opposite direction. Remember the the version of the Canucks that uh were giving up like power play goals every single time to the opposition. Like it was the I don't know, the penalty kill gave up goals in know, like six of nine opportunities over like a three game stretch. And it just, it's a snowball running, running downhill. It becomes just like a, we can't do this. We will surrender. It kind of feels like that. I mean, with the numbers, this grave here over the last six games, like it just feels like the power play goes out there and you're just as worried about giving yeah. up the goal as you are excited uh, about getting uh, one. I agree. It's too pronounced. I agree. It's too lasting uh, three straight games here. They've, surrender to shorty uh to open things up but really the last two or three weeks of it have been bad but i voted no on the poll because that should be an easy fix you'd think you would think like i'm racking my brains for the playoff series that was decided by one team's dangerous shorthanded unit right but they are but they, to me they're like the, they are backbreakers you know they're in, the in fumbles the, they're the interceptions if you will sure but of hockey. they're just they're rare enough that I, I I don't perceive them as a huge problem. This team is also the only NHL team that has not lost three straight games. So really, I'm not going to get too overly amped or concerned about one loss, even if it was to Boston, even if it was by a four nothing scoreline. Ooh, yeah, this that brings back memories. So let's get to our top story. Yeah. Then it is the four nothing loss to Boston, the most lopsided loss of the season. Statistically, the Vancouver Canucks have not lost a game by four goals until Thursday night in Beantown. It's the second shutout loss. They were shut out in Philadelphia early in the year in October. And well, Rick Tockett, not happy. But as you'll hear in these clips that we play, not happy, but still measured and calculating in choosing his words. We'll start with the no-show here in what was a big game, a marquee game of the two best teams in the West and the East. Yeah, I mean, it's a teaching one. It's a big game. A lot of eyes were on us tonight. They didn't play well their last game. Their coach kind of called them out, you know, um, and, um, you know, they showed up. And we just we just made some stupid mistakes. Um, yeah, 
you're in big games, you got to really got to make sure that you don't make mistakes, and you got to you have to have effort every. You know, I thought some guys played well. I mean, I, mean, I thought some guys tried and played, but uh, to, unfortunately, had half the guys were they weren't there. Half the guys. Several things st- stand out there. Number one, John Shannon mentioned to us Wednesday. Watch out in Boston. Their head coach tore a strip off them. There's another After team a involved. Dreadful here. loss against Calgary yeah. coming out of the break. He's mentioned eyes on the team several times in the last few weeks. I, I do wonder whether his time in television has sort of <laughs> is seeping in there when he talks about, yeah, I believe in advance of the Leafs game, he talked about, you know, a lot of eyes on us. So I, I, I do wonder whether, you know, Rick feels like his team's got to perform for the larger hockey world when they're in these games. I think it's proving themselves what he's, what he's yeah, talking about. No, that's about. fair. That's fair. And I don't but know, also, I you know, I I think there's a little bit of, uh, you know, let's show the rest of the world what we got here. And that wasn't us last night. And this is going to come out throughout the course of the day. And it's going to come out, folks, in your conversations amongst your friends. Oh, Canucks in the big game. And they failed that test. But Carolina has been on a tear. They went into Carolina, won a tough playoff kind of game. They've gone into MSG in one games this year, beaten Florida a couple of times, beaten Dallas. Like they've, you look at the top of the same, those are all top 10 teams in the National Hockey League. So yeah, that's a loud loss. And they've had a couple of other loud losses this season. Uh, Vegas, I'm thinking as well, where they just were never in it. Colorado. But, but yeah, but they've also passed these tests throughout the season as well. So look, and I have the list here. There are two ways you can go about it. If you believe Vegas, Colorado, and Boston are in a different tier than the rest of the top 10 teams, and I think there's a case. There's a case. That's the last two Stanley Cup champions. That's a team that had an extraordinary 135-point regular season last year, albeit you know they they have lost some players from that team Mm -hmm. and, and is leading the East. So if you believe Boston, Vegas, and Colorado are in a different tier and you're well within your right to think so, you can draw the line after those three, mm-hmm. then it's a concern. But as you note, Blake, it's two wins against Dallas. It's two wins against Florida. It's two wins against Carolina. It's a win and an overtime loss to the Rangers when the Rangers got away with a blatant penalty in overtime that led to the game-winning goal. Beat Tampa 4-1. And it's a win and a loss against the Leafs. So the three teams, Vegas, Colorado, Boston, record not good. Versus the next four, five, that's still pretty scintillating stuff. And the Stanley Cup winner could lost very one well. game and lost one in overtime. And uh, what? Uh, eight wins. So eight, one, and one against that next tier. Yeah. And how shocky, shocked would you be if the Stanley Cup winner, the eventual, came out of that list that you just talked about at the end there? Oh, I mean, like, I think it's all but certain. Like it's, it's, that wouldn't be shocking. So I guess Edmonton and Tampa would be the, uh, yeah, ones from below the top. But again, 10, they've right? they've beaten Tampa already this year in the three and over the Oilers. So right. I mean, it's there's there's a lot of evidence that shows that the Canucks can beat good teams. There's yeah. a lot of that evidence. But you're right, the elite, the very tip of the mm-hmm. iceberg, it's been a little bit tougher. Yeah, three and zero against the Oilers. They got a win and a loss uh, against Tampa Bay. So yeah, yeah. look. Um, 
Sky is not falling. Nobody here is going chicken little over a four nothing loss to Boston, even if it was and it was against Boston and by that same score line that of course uh brings back the evil memory and of we're gonna hear more seven from, in the Stanley Cup final twenty eleven. We're gonna hear more from Rick talking in a second, but mm-hmm. um it was a funny diatribe and and in that he really only had negative things to say about his team last night. Mm-hmm. And yet several times he kind of did shake his head and and come to a little bit and be like I know it's our it's yeah. our only our first loss in in thirteen games. It, it's a weird position that he's in to look well, at a game like that as bad as it was, but knowing that they haven't had a regulation loss in three weeks, it points in fourteen straight. Yeah, here's coach, and this is really a this is really running a narrow channel here. He's calling out his top players. Without calling out his top players, take a listen. You know, we need a couple guys here. Let's go. I mean, come on. It's they weren't good tonight. Some guys, and they haven't been good, frankly. Last, you know, these are this, when you, these are big time games. You know, Marshawn and Pasternak. You know, great players, and they showed up. You know, we got to have that kind of thing. Now, listen, there's our first loss in like I don't know how many games, 13, 14. So <clears throat> I can't get too critical, but these are big games. You'd like to see a little bit better. From some guys, and you know those two short the, the short end goals really is a is something you cannot do in big critical games. You just can't. So he doesn't name names, and and, and two points there. Number well three by name checking Marchand and Pasternak, he's effectively getting everybody just to draw the straight line across. Uh, number two. He didn't need to name names because of his actions. Pedersen at one point in this game is sitting more than Pedersen normally sits. The power play one does not start a power play, which, you know, say no more, coach. We know what you're trying to say there. Mm -hmm. JT Miller's had some culpability last night on the goals against, and his ice time was not exactly overflowing either. And then thirdly, Blake, and this is the one that we were talking about. Elias is a sensitive soul. He called him by name recently, and we all sat there and wondered, Ooh, with what's going on in the back channels on the contract negotiation or the lack of negotiation and the desire to get him signed so you can move forward with your franchise and roster building, Probably wise that he didn't name drop Pedersen. Oh, totally. And Pedersen knows. Um, and you know, I, I think he was effectively saying in that last one, best players have to be the best players. Um, because he name checked the Boston best players. So you're right. I, I mean, it, it's it's all right there. But you know, I think it was a master class by by talking in a lot of ways. The good coaches know when to get angry at their team. And he wasn't even getting angry. You know what? This is, you know, something for a guy like Tortorella to look at. You can be angry at your team without ranting and raving and frothing at the mouth. I think everybody got the point that he was none too pleased by the effort last night. But he still sounds like he's calm, cool, and collected to Rick Talkett. So, uh, you know, uh, kudos to him for that. And he gets the message across, I think, both to players and to media and fans, that he sees what you see and those players know what they need to do to be better. Master class. The more I listen to him, the more he moves up my power rank. Yeah, I think so too. Coach communicators. Yep. He is absolutely a plus on this facet of the job. I mean, he's as good as some of the best I've, I've ever heard 
uh, in terms of no the sugar way they coating. Can, and yet no frothing at the mouth either. Well, he but he's finding but that gets the message across, yeah. has his own distinct style, yeah. uses terminology that is also not unique, but, you know, uh, trademark. Also understands he's communicating to his dressing room and to a fan base at large. A lot of guys don't ever get that, Blake. Mm-hmm. And he gets it. As for the shorthanded goals. Allowed in three straight, two last night. Here's coach on how they have to be better in that facet. We talked about our pre-scout power play meeting. They they go for it. You have to defend. You That means you have to defend. You can't go for escape. And I think, you know, that they actually specifically are now watching video on other teams' penalty kill and how aggressive they are getting with Vancouver. Probably tells you something, right? That he's at wit's end with that. And something the players are going to have to learn between now and the playoffs. Again, should be an easy fix. I don't think anyone's pulling hair out about shorthanded goals in the middle of what is an incredible season. And frankly, if you're going to have a blip in this regard, let it be a game 50-51, not a game 81-82. Well, the funny thing is, is that the Carolina game, to me, I was like, Wow, this penalty kill is amazing. It is a complete antidote to the Canucks. And to the point, it, they were all over the points. And, you know, they, they couldn't get JT Miller going downhill. Hughes was under pressure nonstop. And yet they still execute because of the fine tips of, of, of Lindholm in front. But I thought the pressure that they had, which is kind of old school, like lately everybody's Very been old school. They've been collapsing, you know, and just saying shoot away. These active pushes to the blue line to me, but Blake, causing should, a lot of you issues. have the numerical advantage, so it should be an easy, uh, it should be easy to adapt and fix that. Oh, I know, but it's you just, just chess. You, that's all. No, they, well, now you, they've you, made moves, and now you've got to find a way around those moves. So you got to figure it out. Now it's on talking right. and his staff but, to, to to figure that part but out. But if it's chess, you still have your queen. They don't have their queen. Yeah, okay. They, you got to be able to go to Plan B. Sure. And I think they've been sluggish to go to plan B. And frankly, the new guy coming in has probably further complicated that, right? Because you're worried about integrating the new guy. And he looked fantastic in game one with the two tip-in goals. I- I'm not worried in the least here. They're going to figure that out. You oh, worried? This, this, about the power play? Yeah. No, there's too much talent okay. there. They'll figure it out. Uh, let me ask you this. Are you worried that Pedersen might be hurt? We got a text yesterday from somebody who knows skating strides who wondered about the shortness of Elias's stride right now and that he's compensating, wondered if there was some sort of groin problem. Now, he's not going to cop to it. In fact, he uh, he has shot down previous questions and speculation about injury. Well, the route he took to Heinen was a bit odd. He kind of yeah. took it wide instead of going right at him. I... uh Hockey players battle through things all the time. I've previously worried about this. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been on my radar recently um, because I thought that he's just looked so good every up till recently. Mm-hmm. Um, his ice time has not suffered. He's still had lots of 20-minute games in the last couple of weeks. Uh, he had a 20-minute game versus the Carolina Hurricanes. What did he finish last night? 14-17. Yeah. Um now, I wondered when he was skipped over there, when they put Lindholm with, uh, was it Lindholm with Mikheyev and Hoaglander? I thought, 
Okay. Because then they immediately came out with Suter and, and Miller and Besser. They skipped over him. Mm-hmm. I thought, did he just ask to be skipped over? Did he, did he want to let something rest? Or was that a coach's decision of, I don't want you out there right now? I don't know. But that was a peculiar spot in the middle of the contest where he just got skipped over. And you don't generally skip over Elias Pettersson. Mechanically, he's no, not, not he's not the cleanest skater. No, he never has been. an awkward no. stride to yeah. him. And but not the thinks, fastest. No, but he thinks the game so well that he can make up for it in other areas. Kind of like what we saw the Sedins, but that's a little different in its own mm-hmm. right. Uh, McKeever has gone 19 without a goal. I think it's time for a change there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think... I think Nils Hoaglander is the most obvious option. You could break up the third line, but you know what? As much as they may not be producing at the same rate, they're still having great games. The third line is first period in Carolina. This is the best line on the ice. Right. So like, I still think those are third line guys. Like I love Connor Garland's chutzpah, but I still think he's a third line guy. And I'd like to see what Nils Hoaglander could do with that group. Puck retrieval on the boards. Um, you know, it, that's one thing McKayev doesn't do. McKayev's not really been digging lately. You know, I don't know. I, I don't if know what to say. It's just the goals doing. not being there, but the effort and the details right. being there it would be one thing. Yeah. But he's just not very noticeable at all. Well, it's just like the third line. The third line does not have a bottom line recently, super recently, but you can see what's happening. And I can't see what's happening with McKayev. And we saw that the third line did not have a bottom line early in the season, but knew they were playing well. And sure enough, the bottom line came. Yeah. And I would not be at all surprised if that's the case again for Bluger, Joshua and Connor Garland. I mean, you could, you could do a little bit of a flip flop and go Hoaglander all the way to the top with, with Miller and Besser and drop Suter. Yep, you could you do could that, do that well. too, but Hoaglander into the top six is probably ready. Yeah. YouTube Nucks for life. 11 hogs with Petey and Lindy. We yeah. all Swedish line. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. uh, I I have got no problem with that at all. I think that could work. Uh, Detroit and Washington on the weekend. Uh, both of the morning starts. For us, yes. For us. By the way, weekend early starts, big fan. Absolutely love them. Early starts on Especially weekdays. Especially after se- football season, too. Yeah. Weekday early starts, not a fan. Direct conflict with my kids' games. This is problematic for me. Oh, is it? Yeah. I had to watch last night's game on my phone. I don't enjoy that. Oh. Yeah. So I'm going to have to do that again. So hold on a second. Do you uh, you watch the Canucks instead of your kids? No, the game went right up to the puck oh, drop. Okay. It was like literally the horn sounded and then the puck dropped. Okay. It was perfect. When there's a direct conflict, you watch the Canucks game over your kids? Um, as soon as my girl goes over the boards onto the ice, I look at my kid and as soon as... They're off the ice. I'll look at the screen. Very diplomatic answer, Senator Price. You need one of those new VR headsets that could show you the game while you watch. I don't need one of those VR headsets. No. Have you seen some of those? Oh, they're they're weird. It's so bad. Matt Matt will will be getting a VR headset. He's our our tech guy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, no. I don't want to know what he'll he'll be uh, watching on there. I'm telling you, I'm prepared for the holodeck. When the holodeck becomes a thing, I'm sure you'll figure that out. Mm hmm. Honey, honey, what did you do to the holodeck? Do you know how to turn the holodeck on? I, d- I, can, I, went, I can see it now. I went to this NASA. Call the holodeck. It's not working. I do. 
Give me the number for the internet. <laughs> I went to this NASA VR thing over the weekend. That was pretty cool. You You're went like, to what? Simulation in space on all these rocket ships. You went to this? Yes. Where? No, I went to the moon. Yeah. Uh, it was um, down by station, uh, main and terminal. Huh. Wow. A little industrial. I area. didn't know you were a space nerd. Ah, mom bought us tickets. Oh, okay, mom. Yeah, well it was done, cool. Mom. She's still hoping that you become an astronaut, Grady. Her birthday yesterday. Shout out, Donna. There you go. Uh, Detroit and Washington. Two teams that are right there on the cusp of the Eastern Conference playoff race, although in the case of the Washington Capitals, hmm, no Kuznetsov. Things are getting a little bit late in the day for the Caps. 51 points. They trail the Red Wings, who are actually the last team in the East playoffs as we speak at 58, game, uh, 58 points going into, into Friday's play. And they've lost De six in a row. Yeah, Detroit's a plus... Uh, Detroit's a plus 15 gold differential. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they and Pittsburgh sort of stand out amongst that group that's vying for Eastern Conference playoff spots. And of course, there's some upward mobility there in the Atlantic division because the Leafs aren't too far out of reach of Detroit, Tampa. It's very, very tight. They give up goals, though. They've got 161 goals allowed yeah. as well. So that's 30 more than the Canucks. Yeah. Uh, Andre Kuzmenko scores again for the Calgary Flames. So if you're Keeping track at home, that's two goals. For five Lindholm. on five goal, too. Two goals for Andre Kuzmenko. He also had a classic Kuzmenko turnover at the blue line on the power play that ended in a goal. The, take the good, take Flames the yeah. have won their two games coming out of the break against pretty good teams, too, yeah. in Boston and New Jersey. Chris Tanev leaves the game twice and returns both times. Can you imagine what's going through Craig Conroy's head? Yes, we can. As all that Because happens. the Canucks fans have been through this with assets down the stretch over the last decade going, I hope they trade so-and-so, and then so-and-so walks down the hallway, and you're thinking, no, no, they can't trade him. Was it Ham Hughes the one year? Late, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's been multiple examples of this where so-and-so gets injured, they can't trade him. Or so maybe so-and-so's injured. Maybe they can't trade him. And then the, for the most part, Jim Benning's regime didn't trade anybody anyway. So not a lot of liquidation. No, why bother? Not a lot of liquidation. Uh, remember that one deadline they traded Burroughs and Hanson and people are like, yes, yes, finally they get it. Yeah. Expansion draft purposes was part of the reasons why. Yeah. They mm -hmm. need, they needed that kick in the butt. Yeah. Anyway, we're not going to relitigate. Yeah. Uh, so you wonder whether that's scary enough for Craig Conroy and the flames that now they get a set about trading Chris Tanev. We had heard after the Lindholm trade that a Tanev deal might be in short order. It was not. And yet, does Calgary look at it and say, we've won two in a row. We're one point out of a playoff spot. St. Louis has games in hand on them. So does LA. But that, and they've won three in a row, two uh, after the break. Do they feel like? Three in a row. Two after the break, yeah, though, right? Ah, yeah. yes, Three in a row total. They're in that big group, and, and we'll, we'll talk more about this uh, as days go by here, but there's a bunch of teams that are in, and I think the Preds are in this mode, the Philadelphia Flyers are in this mode. If we make it in, great, fun, yay, but we're still going to do what we need to do going forward. Well, it's funny because uh, I'm going to get to the Blues and the Predators here in a second. 
the reporting from the fourth period and beyond is that Vancouver, Toronto, and Dallas are in or in on TANF. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also this peculiar report about Rasmus Ristolainen being of interest for those teams, but there's contract term left there, three more years. It's a huge salary for a player who is underachieved. The Vegas Golden Knights had three people scouting the Calgary-New Jersey game. That's probably telltale. You know, uh, I always laugh at this time of year when you see the list of teams that are scouting a game. Well, if a team only has one scout there, there's a pretty good bet that that scout lives in the neighborhood and goes to a lot of those games. The team has a second scout there. Okay. Now we may be cocking eyebrow. Team has three scouts in the building. That probably tells you they are looking at something specific. So who might Vegas be looking at? You know, they love the big defenseman. Noah Hannafin. It's Tanif amongst the flames. And look, at trade deadline season now, because we're less than a month, we have, you look you look deeply into a lot of things. St. Louis loses Justin Falk and Scott Perinovich for weeks. So two of their six defensemen are now out of the lineup for weeks. Uh, Perinovich hasn't really launched as a prospect, although people like him. Falk plays 22 minutes tonight. Is St. Louis really going to hang around? Or are they going to become sellers here with Kasperi Kapanen, Sammy Blay, Sunkvist, uh, Scandella? They've got some other UFAs to be. Are they going to start liquidating? Tampa Bay loses Mikhail Sergachev. Couple of broken bones in his leg. So do they now up what they're looking for on the defense market to replace a heavy minute guy? And then more reporting that the Edmonton Oilers who were connected to TANF early in the week by Darren Dreger, also looking at Philadelphia Sean Walker, but prioritizing a top six forward, maybe even Jake Gensel, which can you imagine Gensel on that team? Oh, my God. Every free agent winger or, or free agent to be winger ends up with the Oilers, it seems, at the end of every season. Um, but what's also happening in in sort of reaction to some needs arising for some contenders is you're hearing more and more names of, I think, teams at the bottom of the standings looking and going okay who on the defense do we really need here because we could sell off x y and z here like half of the flyers defense cores theoretically on the block here half of them it's a team that's right now in a playoff spot and you can acquire half of their defense core like it's a weird weird year well half their defense is in a uh in a playoff spot but here's the thing they know there's a bigger game afoot yeah. in Philadelphia. Yeah. Well, that much is clear. They they have not tried to fool anybody, including their fans, about competing for this year. That's not what the Philadelphia Flyers are about right now. The Philadelphia Flyers are about building something for the long term to be but that's what competitive, not just playoff competitive. Teams are taking hard looks at themselves and going, we're really not going to win anything this year. So why don't we just... If there's going to be some good prices out there for defensemen in particular, why don't we take advantage? Like, I mean, you could probably half of the Predators defense squad, the Preds are what one or two points out of the playoffs right now. Like you could get Fabro, Carrier and Barry out of out of uh, Nashville. Mm-hmm. 
Walker Sealer Ristolainen in Philly, Hannafin Tanif in Calgary, uh, Dumba, D'Angelo, Peak and Boquist in Columbus. We've talked about Edmondson, John Merrill, Jacob Chikrin too. Like that's a bigger move, obviously. Yeah. But the Senators have left side defensemen. They're looking for a comparable right side defenseman, and of course, that's um. That's a trade that comes with some term and a little bit surprising his name is out there, but it is out there uh, because it took so long for Arizona to trade him. But basically, Blake, here's what I'm saying. Like I'm looking at a list of 10 to 12 pretty decent defensemen who are on the block. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, Was- it's flooding, and I think we're going to hear more names. St. Louis, you've got some teams, Philly, who were really teetering on the edge of sell. I think this could be a buyer's market. Like there's part of me that wants Rutherford and Alvin to hold out to the last minute and then be predatory. Now, if a guy's got term, no one's going to cave at the last minute. And then there's guys like Carrier in Nashville, who uh, Saravelli did a good piece on him where he concluded that, look, if they don't get the right offer, they may just try and resign the guy because you know, 27. Exactly. Yeah. But there are some of these guys that you know the GM is looking to move and looking to recoup a future asset for. I sort of wonder, we've been talking about this for a week now, whether what appeared to be a seller's market not long ago is moving rapidly towards a buyer's market as teams evaluate where they are versus in the standings, but not just there, as you mentioned, evaluate, are we truly a contender? Like, do can we win multiple rounds? And if not, is it time to make well, some? Sometimes of these moves? one can beget the other. I think teams look around and say, "Oh, there's good prices out there because it's a uh, it's a seller's market." But then, if all the sellers come to the market, it becomes a buyer's market because it's too flooded. So I, I think we might see that sort of reaction where everybody sort of starts to float their defensemen out there because they think that there's a big a big market. And then there's too many guys out there, and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's selling their uh, their bit player. So we'll see. Well, and and honestly, it looks like a bigger defense market than it does a forward market. That's pretty funny. Like, <laughs> you know, normally I shouldn't say normally. There are some years where people are looking at you know mid pair, if that mid to mid to bottom pair defensemen and talking themselves into second round picks for those guys, because there's not a whole lot out there and we got to beef up on defense. This one looks a little different. Well, defense has just become the it thing, particularly the right shot. So if you got a right shot defenseman, no matter how good they are, you're kind of dangling them up there to see what you might be able to get for them. So Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing that uh, in spades around the league. And we'll see if anybody, we'll see if people pull the trigger ultimately, uh, see what the prices are. Uh, Happy. Three-year anniversary. Thank you to Jason Beck, the EBC Sports Hall of Fame, for the reminder tweet this morning about what happened three years ago today. Mm -hmm. Good riddance. Mm -hmm. Hope you had the time of your life. From us to them. Good riddance. (laughs) Uh, I can't recall the last time that I have seen political leaders come out as forcefully criticizing a major Canadian employer. But here's where we're at with Bell Canada Enterprises and Bell Media specifically, our Premier David Eby 
called them a corporate vampire after announcing 4,800 layoffs on Thursday, 9% of the workforce. And it's further along the political spectrum. And then our prime minister, with Ontario Premier Doug Ford in the background. Again, we're all across the political spectrum there, from EB to to Trudeau to Ford. Yeah, that's a touch them all, Touch them all, yeah. (laughs) Called it a garbage decision and said he was pissed off and particularly noted uh, local and community journalism uh, in smaller communities that is just so necessary. I uh, I got to say, because one of the things that we heard when we got laid off and our station uh, had its format changed was that there were a lot of Bell Hon shows that were surprised at the public backlash of it. Then fast forward to the Lisa LaFlamme termination and the story that seemingly went on for weeks and weeks and weeks to the point where a rival media company immediately hired Lisa and threw her over in London to do reporting. Mm. And we were told, oh, some of the bell honchos were surprised that that story had the legs that it had. You think they're still surprised? Yep. Yeah, they seem to be slow learners, Matt. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say that You they think are. they're in the bubble there in Montreal, yeah. the boardroom, going, oh, my God. People care about this already? Hmm. Hashtag Bell Let's Cut. People keep citing Bell Let's Talk Day and somehow linking that with our with our layoffs. Why are they doing that? Because it was a week later? Is that is that why? Honest to God. Yeah. Anyways, um, more names have come out of people who have lost their employment uh, with Bell and Bell Media since yesterday. Uh, Some of them locally, uh, some of them at TSN National, uh, some of them uh, across the country. And uh, hearts go out to you. Mm -hmm. We know what you're going through right now. Let's get to today's menu. It is brought to you by Seagram's VO Select Canadian Whiskey, originally introduced back in the early 1900s. Seagram's VO, designed as a wedding gift from Joseph E. Seagram for one of his sons. Barrel set aside in the warehouse, specifically marked VO, the family's very own whiskey. Joseph Seagram, he liked it so much, put it on the market. The rest is history here. Seagram's VO Select Canadian Whiskey, artfully blended, impeccably crafted. Make it your very own. We're going to talk to Frank Saravelli coming up here. Of course, trade deadlines. So lots of topics to hit on, including the Canucks interest in Phil Kessel. This Rasmus Ristolainen business. How quick are the flames going to be in terms of trading Chris Tanif after the events of last night? He's a down the tunnel guy. Uh, also, Frank predicting Nick Dowd, the former Canuck fourth line center could fetch a first-round pick on this trade market. We have to ask him to explain that one. Tell us why. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, a couple of extraordinary performances in global athletics on Thursday, one of them from a Canadian phenom. To the people we go on Fridays, we go to the people. Hear from you on a variety of Canucks topics over the last week. Jay Pat's going to stop by, of course, after the loss in Boston with his full breakdown. And uh, we'll talk some uh, football as well. There's a big game on Sunday. I, I didn't get a chance to put this in the hashtags, and you don't have it either. Uh, congrats oh. to Nick Taylor on the 60 today. 
at the waste management. Yeah, finishing open. up his first round after the uh, weather yeah. delay. Ah, uh, sixty. Sixty. So it's a heck of a. He's in good shape going uh, into the weekend uh, or into the later Friday as well. Uh, time for our best bets of presentation. A tough weekend weather, huh? Well, yeah, the West Coast fifty-four uh, whole event at Pebble and yeah. Uh, Seath Tagala said he striped a driver yesterday that went 250 yards, then hit a four iron on the screws that was 20 yards short of the green. Those are the sorts of conditions they were facing yeah, yesterday. Okay. British. In normally, like, this is Phoenix. Yeah. Valley of the Sun. Yeah, not much happens usually. A right. 60. I think I've doubled that a couple times. It, with us, in fact. That's a good friend. Perhaps. That's why you're yeah. no longer in the force. Yeah. I'm a content guy. Not a contact guy, that's for sure. No. <laughs> Best bets of presentation of sports interaction, your homegrown sports book and casino. Matt, Damn. what do you got, Matt? Uh, we'll go more into detail later in the show. But I don't need the two points. I'm picking Kansas City straight up to win Super Bowl. Uh, paying a 2.10. Sports interaction does a great job of pointing forward on the uh, NHL. So uh, Canucks and Wings is uh, up right now. Don't love the money line at 180 for the Canucks. Are they going to be able to do what Boston just did? Heed the the criticism of their coach and turn it around? I think so. The Canucks this might... is a not a very good defensive team they're playing, as yeah. you say. So if they can open it up here, the Canucks minus one and a half is 285. Maybe run with that going into the Saturday morning contest. Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book and casino featuring custom props and parlays that you won't find anywhere else. And it speaks directly to the Vancouver sports fan, plus a best-in-class casino with thousands of games. Scan the code there. Get 200% welcome bonus from Securus and Price. Sports Interaction bet local must be 19 years of age. Please play responsibly. I also like how Sunday it's a morning game before Super Bowl as opposed to. Very polite. You know, there have been years in the past where they've had to play like in Anaheim after Super Bowl. Yeah. I don't know. Play before Super Bowl. Sarah Valley's coming up next. Joined now by NHL Insider from the Daily Faceoff and the Frankly Speaking Podcast, Mr. Frank Cervelli. How are we doing? How busy are you? Oh, I'm busy. This is silly season where you're just chasing nonsense. Like, you'd be shocked at how things sort of, like, even the most innocuous tip. Like, you get a call from someone who knows someone that's like, hey, Dustin Wolf from the Flames, he's flying to Newark today. He's on my friend's flight. So then, like, you need to quick hurry up and and call people, and you're like, are the Flames trading Markstrom? What's happening here? And then you find out that Dan Vladar just tweaked something, and yeah. they're yeah. calling him up for insurance, and you're like, gee, thanks for the half-hour <laughs> runaround. Wow, we had the same serious. thing this morning. Blake went, oh, my God, Flames only have an e-bug on the ice. What's mm-hmm. happening? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing, yeah, apparently. Nothing. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And you're just, it's just a time suck sometimes, yeah. but that's part of the deal. And that's and you know what? Gig. And I would say too, you never know where stuff comes from. So I do not bat an eye at the weirdest source you've ever heard. People know stuff. And if it, however it gets to you, it doesn't really matter. It just has to be correct. I remember Blake and I were doing a show years ago in the summer like an innocuous June or July day outside of BC place. And we've got a 
cryptic text in the inbox that just said, guys, I think Trevor Linden's being fired right now, or has it just been fired? And sure enough, it plans to be, it turned out to be true yeah. like within uh, yeah. an hour or so. Okay, uh, let's move on. Phil Kessel. Are the Canucks going to sign Phil Kessel, Frank? I don't know. Um, it's been a long time since Phil Kessel's played, and obviously he's remained training and kept hope alive. I think the big thing that's connected to it is the Rick Tockett connection, right? He's the he's the Phil Kessel whisperer and the person who really seemed to get him more than any other coach and get him engaged. I have real questions at this point how how productive Phil Kessel could be. And it's it's not like we've got a pretty big sample size, right? You know, I know that he's hungry to play and the passion is there. But when you go a stretch where Vegas decides that for 20 games in the playoffs, their roster is better off without you in it, that I, I think to me it's a real long shot, even if he does come in for him to be a, a significant contributor. Explain Rasmus Ristolainen to us um three more years at 5.1 million and yet to listen to some the canucks the stars and others are interested in ristolainen uh who do not understand consistently tracks as one of the worst defensemen by the analytics but yeah dallas toronto vancouver and ristolainen what's up there does not compute i think the flyers would love to try and find a way to move on i think he's enjoyed a bit of a renaissance under John Tortorella, but I think everyone understands that that contract as currently constituted doesn't really make a lot of sense for the flyers. Um, how do they facilitate that? Can they, can they find a way to reduce the salary to the point where it is palatable for other teams? There's opportunity cost involved. If the flyers were due to do that, like think about the players that they're already retaining on, uh, in Kevin Hayes, that's already for two additional years. If you were to chew up another one for a couple years in, in Ristolainen, that doesn't leave you a ton of flexibility after the fact. Yeah. That trade for Ristolainen will go down as one of the worst that we've seen in the last 10 years, getting him from Buffalo for Chuck Fletcher. It didn't make sense then. He didn't play well, and then they felt pot committed based on what that they had given up, that they felt like they had to re-sign this guy to a a deal of that magnitude and phew, I, I don't, it does not make sense. Where are the flyers uh, on any of these players? We've talked about Walker and sealer and, and others. I mean, they played more games than anybody and there's still three points back of that wild card spot. Um, although the wild card spot may not be the, you know, best, uh, or they're three points back of the hurricanes at the very least. Um, what, what, when do they decide what, what their fate is this season? Do you think? Oh, they know what their fate is this season. If they get in, great. But their John Tortorella gave everyone the warning shot two to three weeks ago, and he mm -hmm. said, we're going to make some trades that people here aren't going to be happy with, meaning that they've played their butts off this year, and yet it's not really about this year. It's big picture. And mm -hmm. this is a team that entered the season rebuilding. They've defied expectations and, at times, logic. Um, you know, even the way this week has unfolded, you go into Florida right on the other side of the break where you sort of slid into it. The team goes on a, a bender in the Caribbean and they come back and they they beat the Panthers in Florida. Like what? Uh, one of the best teams in the East. And then 
they shellacked the Jets last night. And you're like, well, what, how is this happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they've got the long view in mind. And I think it's very, very likely that they move Walker. Uh, Sealer is a, he's kind of a wait and see. If they get something that really gets them excited, they'll move him. But they've continued contract extension talks. And it's been pretty positive there to the point where I think they're supposed to revisit it in two weeks. And they're hoping to to keep him, um, mostly because I, you know, what 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 are you going to get for him that exceeds what he brings to the table for you? And so that's sort of where they're at um, up front. They're just entertaining lots of different stuff. Scott Lawton, you know, whatever comes across their plate that makes sense is what they'll do. What about Connect Me? Great question. Um, I, I certainly don't think they're trying to move him. And I think if anything, what makes more sense to me is to wait until the summer when you can have, you know, 15 other teams that are in the mix, as opposed to just the contenders. Now, um, I think his value between now and the summer, isn't going to change all that much. Yes. One additional playoff run would be nice, but I can't see cutting off half the market in order to try and pull the trigger. Now it feels like one of those trades that if it happens, really needs to be sussed out and and really go through a, a process to to capitalize and maximize their return. Uh, moving from Calgary's crease to their blue line, Tanif leaves the game twice and returns. They win again, and I see Hannafin has risen to the top of your trade targets board. Uh, did anything that has ha- happened since the break where Calgary's been good with a couple of wins, including our yeah. buddy Kuzmenko? Yeah, uh, is anything that like that affecting Conroy? Does he think he's still in it? Does he get scared by what he saw from Tanev last night? Well, I, those are a whole bunch of different questions. I'll start with Tanev. It has to, your heart has to skip a beat. And I know that you know he goes down the tunnel so often. You know, <laughs> it's pretty normal to see him return thirty <laughs> seconds later. Um, but the way he plays as a human missile, like I, I would. I would think long and hard if I were in the flame shoes about asset protection at this point. Like I think the last thing you want is to be left holding the bag. And I don't think the flames are that far off from obviously, you know, just two run-ins in one game. You want to make sure you keep him clean to move him. And whether, you know, that's now or whether it's three weeks from now, I don't think they're very far off from having to pull him from the lineup when it comes to the team overall and their thought process, consider that consider the pieces they've already taken off of this team, Zadarov and now Lindholm, and they're still competitive. Are things really going to change that much if they move Tanev? Right. Then the Hannafin part of this is until he puts pen to paper, he's going to remain the number one guy on our board. And I know they're waiting an answer. I believe they were supposed to meet either yesterday or today with Hannafin's representatives to really talk this through and to try and get an answer. But he's gotten cold feet. He's left them at the end of the aisle. You've given him everything he wants. It certainly feels to me right at this exact juncture that they, you know, they would have to be thinking without an answer, we need to move him. But until that happens, he's going to stay there. Uh, I, as you know, last week allowed you to bow on Sean Monahan, And mm. so I preface this by saying, Frank, I trust you. When you okay. tell me a centerman is going to go for a first round pick, I'm buying you. Okay. S- Nick Dowd. First round pick. 
I'll bet you. This might not be to my advantage. The former Vancouver Canucks cast off, who, to be fair, immediately started playing well in Washington as soon as he left here. Explain to me how he gets a first-round pick. Term. It's the extra year on his deal at a nothing contract. Mm -hmm. And people, the reactions to people, you know, when I said that on my podcast, they were, you know, you could hear people's heads rolling almost. But there's been that much interest. Teams love him. And for a late first to get in, you know, just think of the guys that, that Tampa traded for at the time that we were like a late first for Barkley. Like that's the type of addition this guy is. And he's, he's 33. Like I agree. Like if he was 29, absolutely. He's 33. It's he doesn't show any signs of slowing down to me. <laughs> There's not a ton of, of wear on that tread. I, I don't know about you. Like I, I sign me up with Nick Dowd and, and look, <laughs> I will do this. Uh, and you don't have to take me up on it, but, and it may not work to my advantage um, because of the, the differential in real estate between where I live and where you live. But I would bet you a mortgage payment that he gets a first. Yeah, it is very different. Yeah. You don't want my mortgage payments. I assure you. Um, I'm a I, bet, I bet Ryan Pinder on, on, uh, on barn burner mm. that, that Monaghan would get a first. He didn't take the bet, but I made the same offer. Yeah, I'm a renter, Frank. You should see rents in this market. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. Yeah. The only uh, thing I would have going for me in that case is the currency conversion. That's right. The conversion is. Uh, is Tampa competition for a lot of these defensemen now that sergeyev has gone? Yeah, I, I think they were in the market for depth defensemen anyway, but now with Sergeyev, the injury has really thrown a wrench into their season. Quite frankly, it's not just you know we can get in, but can we compete and how aggressive will we be? Um, that remains to be seen. The, the, the thing from Julian Brisebois playbook that we can draw on is the last few deadlines when he's been aggressive, which is every time he's traded his first for players that he can retain, whether it's been Nick Paul or Brandon Hagel or, Tanner Janot, like he's found a way to keep all those guys. And it, you know, if he's going to go down that path again and be aggressive for a team that doesn't have very many assets, I'm skeptical that he will be, especially after the Sergachev injury. But defense is certainly the position to do it. You talked about Alex Carrier today. Um, where does he land in, in, in this whole mix? Is he in a Sean Walker uh, comparison in terms of the same kind of teams that are looking for him? Yep. I think. He's maybe a slight step down from Sean Walker, who I think has just a touch more size and better skating ability. Um, but, you know, to me, when talking about Carrier, he's the perfect kind of fit for Tampa that I could envision. Someone that you can improve your team without going over the top and spending crazy. And someone that if you wanted to bring back and resign, there's certainly a path for you to do so. And so, um, I think he's one of those sneaky, quiet deadline additions that can really help a team that isn't going to break the bank. And there's not one facet of his game that's going to knock you over. He's not super skilled. He's not flashy. I said in the piece, he's, there's not a lot of sizzle, but there's certainly substance. And he's someone that just, he shows up to work every night, which is more than you can say for a lot of guys. 
from one uh, typically aggressive team in Tampa, I want to spend a minute on Vegas. They had three different people scouting that Jersey Calgary game last night. Do you think they'd be in on Tanif and Hannafin? Because the one thing McCrimmon has showed is they take the big swing. Oh, yeah. Typically. Are, are we going to see another big swing from Vegas here, Frank? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they're in a window to win. Aiden Hill, look at his numbers since coming back, has been lights out. And I think when you look at their defense core, when Theodore's healthy, they've got some elite pieces, but they've also got some guys, you know, further down their depth chart that are, I don't, some are replacement level and some are like an Alec Martinez, an unreal shot blocker is long in the tooth. So there's room to improve and upgrade. Um, I don't see a big fit up front, although you look at last year and the impact that someone like Barbashev had. Um, they last year they didn't spend a first round pick. They didn't go wild to improve their team. But I could see them this year being that team that yeah. you know dives in to support where they're at. I mean, look at the collision course that they're on. It's very likely to be Vegas and Edmonton in the first round. Not only will that be a bloodbath, but it's a it's legitimately a coin flip. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to something that we've started kicking around this week, Frank, and that is potentially an arms race here in the Pacific. That does Vancouver have to look at adding another guy, not just to improve their team, but to keep them away from Vegas or Edmonton, if we're talking about those three shopping in the same aisle here. You mean deadline. in terms of keep them away in the bracket? No, in terms of if Edmonton's hot to trot on TANF, can you make a TANF deal that not only helps your club, but of course keeps them away from an Edmonton or a Vegas? Yeah, I mean, I always think that's a potential or part of it. I think that's also how you can lose yourself a bit. Where mm-hmm. you, sure, big risk. Um, you f- spend more time focusing on what other teams may be doing instead of what really helps your team. And not to say Tanev wouldn't. Um, it's just that I, I've been saying, and I've been consistent for weeks now, yes, the forward component, huge. I love that the Canucks went out and got their guy. They got the guy that they wanted on the market. Now, when it comes to defense, I think they can use one more body. But I also don't know that it, I think a lot of these guys might be interchangeable and it might not be the biggest splash that makes the most impact. Well, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to this. this is the first time, Frank, we're talking about the Canucks being a buyer since, what, five years in the Toffoli trade? And mm-hmm. uh, even then it was kind of... Hope and a prayer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first time we've seen this team, you know, have a chance to add guys with a contender. Fine-tuning to contenders is a different... Yeah, it's a fish. totally different yeah. beast than yeah. let's get in and let's add but- a guy to hope to make sure we get in. That's the most exciting part though, is that has been Jim Rutherford's specialty. Mm. It hasn't necessarily been in turning things around, but they've done that. Yeah. But now he's been, he's had the golden touch on a number of teams now at the deadline to find that missing piece. And the other part that I love about him, and I've mentioned before, if it doesn't work, he moves on. And that is so big admitting mistakes. He's good at it. Yeah, the mm-hmm. previous group, not so much. Yeah, and uh, so, well, on that vein, have you heard Mikheyev's name at all? I have not. Okay. Because hmm. he's not working out right now, but that may well be uh, injury-related coming back off the ACL. 
Great stuff, Frank. Thanks for this. We'll catch up next Friday. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Infinity in Richmond. The Q50. Beautiful looking car. Go get the 2023 right now with lease and financing from 0%. That is music to one's ears. Plus, you get non-stack cash up to $8,000. Check it all out at Applewood Infinity in Richmond. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question, did the loss to the Bruins reveal anything that concerns you? Yes or no? You can vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter and YouTube. If you are voting yes, by all means, reply with specifics. What specifically concerned you? Hashtags, best and worst, Twitter.com. Going to lead us off with an extraordinary achievement from an extraordinary young Canadian athlete last night. At Devin underscore Aru. <whistles> Summer McIntosh beats Katie Ledecky in the 800 meters. National record by almost 10 seconds. Time of 8 minutes, 11 seconds and 39 one hundredths of a second. That time would have been good enough for gold at the Tokyo Olympics. This requires some context with regards to the absolute domination of Ledecky, the American swimmer, in this discipline. She had not lost an 800-meter freestyle race in 13 years. She lost this one by six seconds. She has the 15 fastest times in recorded history in this event. And to be fair, Summer's time would have only been 16th best. Summer McIntosh has six Canadian records on her resume. She's 17 years old. And this sets up, Blake, perhaps the greatest individual Canadian-American Olympic battle since the Battle of the Bryans at the 88 Winter Olympics in Calgary, or oh, Sir versus Boitano. It is Phenom versus Phenom in Paris this summer at the Olympics. Bring it on. Summer McIntosh, 17 years old. And we thought Penny Oleksiak was a Phenom. Who knew that someone even better was coming in her wake? It's... Uh... It's good because we need a couple of, uh, you know, we need to have a little bit of Olympic knowledge going into the Olympics. Like we are always playing catch up, it seems, when we're when these Olympics come around of who should we be watching, who should who are our favorites, our stars. And I've got a couple in the pool who are probably going to be appointment viewing. So mm-hmm. pretty excited. And stuff. of course, uh, women's swimming has really floated our medal counts. At, at the last couple of Summer Olympics with the extraordinary achievements of uh, Oleksiak and some others. Uh, but McIntosh, I think, is the real McCoy here. I think we're looking at someone who may, may very well be talked about in that pantheon with all those great swimmers who, of course, have so many disciplines, so tend to win more Olympic medals than your average athlete. Uh, Sal Majorana, at Sal Majorana, covering the uh, Bills. What a joke the NFL awards were. DeMar Hamlin loses out on the comeback award to Joe Flacco. Why? Because Flacco was able to get off his couch and play pretty good for a few weeks. More of a comeback than a guy nearly dying yet returning to play. 
idiots who voted, all of them. Um, many pointing out to, to Sal that, you know, Hamlin's a great human story, but he only had a couple tackles this season, uh, played sporadically. Um, you know, are we measuring the play or merely the human uh, I saw some discussion about this that we need to either redefine the comeback player or include a most improved player alongside comeback. Our old friend Shereen Williams DeMar Hamlin came back from the dead, but that wasn't enough for him to win comeback player. He apparently needed to wait three days until he rose from the dead to impress the eight voters who left him off their ballot. He had more first-place votes, but eight voters left him off the ballot. Flacco was not left off ballots. Uh, The Reddit college football account, leading the Browns to the playoffs, officially confirmed more impressive than resurrection. Uh, yeah, a little, little bit odd. By the way, our, our friend Shereen Williams of Pro Football Talk was spitting fire last night because she mentioned D'Amico Ryan's ripped off. One first place vote. Somehow the vote happens before the end of the regular season for coach of the year. So that last flurry by Houston to win their division was not being considered by voters in this category. So odd. Honestly, um, I don't get why they do that. They do the Pro Bowl like with two weeks. Not that the Pro Bowl matters anymore. Yeah. Although there may well be bonuses in, included there. And the coach of the year before the end of the regular season. Huh? Very weird. Me or you? Oh, it's me. Huh. Uh, well, from Summer McIntosh to another extraordinary achievement. At Corn Ferry Tour. There is now a Mr. 57, and he lives on the Corn Ferry Tour. Cristobal del Solar has recorded the lowest score ever in a PGA Tour-sanctioned event. He missed a six-footer on 18 for 56. Nine birdies, two eagles, 13 under at the Par 70 Lagos course in Colombia. 7,200 yards he admitted it played very short. Did you see a swing? Very Apparently hitchy. the video of that swing, he has fixed that swing a little bit. He's not quite as hitchy as that old video was. Oh, okay. But there's still a bit of a hitch in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's still not the... Uh, but it, it wasn't... Uh, people... Uh, it kind of went viral, but not in the uh, in a teasing sense. It's it, I, The way I saw it uh, forwarded on Twitter was... Swing or swing, like whatever it looks like. Jim, well, F- Jim Furyk's swing looked like Jim Furyk's swing, and he won a bunch of tournaments. And shot 58. Yes, like, that's yeah. one of the guys who he beat here, yes. record-wise. Um, incidentally, it's the third Chilean to go sub-60 in the last few weeks. Joaquin Neiman went 59 at a live event, and then a qualifier at Q School went sub-60 from Chile. Four players have shot 58. Jim Furyk, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, two players on the Japanese tour. Well, now we got a 57. And again, missed a six-footer for 56. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Uh, Back to the Olympics. At CBC Olympics, Canadian women lose to Spain in the Olympic basketball qualifier. Close one, 60-55. to They're one-and-one in group play. They've won the big one over the the minnow, uh, Hungary, so that's good. Should be enough with three of these four teams going through. But there is a medal round, as far as I know, because everything I say in the, the, this terrible website at FIBA 
So I don't know if it's one v four or if it goes straight to a, uh, a gold medal game and a bronze medal game in these. But three of four get through, so th- things are looking good for the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would have made their lives really easy with a win over Spain, but yep. uh, alas, fall five. And short. of course, uh, Kia Nurse uh, not suiting up here; yep. she's uh, injured. Is that hashtags for today? Tis. That's hashtags for today. Joined now by Rinkwide Vancouver's Jeff Patterson, our Canucks reporter following. Well, you tell me, Jeff, is that the worst loss of the season for the Canucks? I think given the expectations and just where they were heading into the matchup, that it was one against two and conference leaders and, oh yeah, Boston and all that baggage that comes along with it. Uh, yeah, massive letdown, of course. Uh, you know, they lost, uh, they got shut out in Philadelphia early in the season. They had a bad loss in Denver. They had a bad loss at home against Vegas. I mean, there have been a couple fact that you can rattle them off the top of your head uh, is a pleasant change from so many years gone by where you couldn't keep track of all the bad losses. But yeah, I, I just think given the stakes coming out of the all-star break, coming off a win in Carolina and to completely no show was the biggest disappointment. Like, you know, we can look at the four goals and there were defensive breakdowns and the shorthanded goals all of a sudden, a little uh, tire fire going on for this hockey club. But for me, like the Bruins, they lost, they got spanked by Calgary. You knew that they were going to be hungry uh, so I think Boston did what they were expected to do. The disappointment was that the Vancouver Canucks didn't, and they haven't disappointed very often this season. But where was the response? And I'm not talking about a physical pushback in any way. You give up a shorthanded goal 32 seconds into the game. Not great, but guess what? You got a minute and 45 seconds of power play time left. Go down the ice, score, tie it up, and get on with it. They didn't get a shot on goal on the remainder of that power play. In fact, they had two power plays in the first period. Bruins scored on both of them. Canucks didn't muster a single shot with the man advantage in the first period in Boston. So, like, I really didn't like the response after the 1-0 goal. And then at 2-0, okay, now you've sort of invited some trouble, uh, spotting the Bruins two on home ice. But you get to the intermission, you know, just step back, take a deep breath. This team can score a lot of goals, so they weren't out of the hockey game. And then just to get punched in the face twice in the first minute of the second period. So no response to the one nothing goal and absolutely no response to start the second period. And at 4 nothing, it's game over and the rest of the time it's garbage time for the Vancouver Canucks. So just really disappointing that there was no pushback in any way, shape or form from the Vancouver Canucks. So let me ask you the poll question then. Is there anything that was revealed that concerns you? Anything lasting that you would be concerned about from this game, Jeff? I think it's just the sort of the playoff metal and everything that we look at this team through now has to be a playoff lens. Like they're going to the postseason. We know that. And, you know, is it a tiny little sample size? Yes. But it's all we've got to work with that they have played Vegas, Colorado and Boston, three teams engineered to win the Stanley Cup. And they've been outscored 13 to three and haven't won any of those games. And so, until they sort of you know, rise to the challenge. And look, they've had good wins. Winning Carolina was a good win. They beat the Rangers at Madison Square. They've beaten Dallas. Like, they've had good wins. So I'm not sitting here and saying they haven't beaten. They you know, took both off Florida this year. Uh, so it's wrong to say that they haven't beaten good teams. But these are the types of teams that have been there and done that. And, you know, I think the longer the Canucks go with rising to the challenge... 
other good teams are going to recognize that and continue to kind of lean on the Vancouver Canucks. And so I do need to see uh, proof of concept here that they can win some big boy hockey against some of these championship caliber and pedigree teams. And uh, again, like there's no shame in falling behind one, nothing like it wasn't ideal to give up a shorthanded goal. It wasn't, there was a bunch of breakdowns, lots of responsibility, but guess what? In the playoffs, pretty good chance at some point you're going to find yourself down in a hockey game. You can't roll over. Like the game can't be over 32 seconds in and effectively it was. And you know, if they thought that that was some adversity, game 51 in Boston, like what happens when they're down two to one in a series in the playoffs? What if they have to go on, you know, and try to win game four or five on the road in the playoffs? So, you know, these are sort of the things that this group, the core group, particularly that has only been tested in the bubble, like they've got another thing coming when they get to the playoffs. It's a completely different environment that they haven't experienced at the NHL level. Guys have played world championships. Guys have played college national championships. These guys have all played big games in their careers, but for the core, Pedersen and Hughes and Besser and Demko, their only playoff experience is in the bubble with nobody in the building. Uh, it is going to be a night and day experience. And so, yeah, I, I think that, again, did I learn anything new? I'm not so sure, but I, I think I come out of it with some of the same questions that I've had about this group all along. Coach used a, a shotgun rather than a rifle. Um, did he Did he mean to use the rifle, though? Like, hey, were you reading between the lines, or did he legitimately think that half the team wasn't good? I, I thought that was pretty masterclass on his part uh, yeah. in the way that he delivered his message without calling out anybody by name because he knows what happened here last month when he was asked a direct question about Elias Pettersson, you know, had a cutting remark about him, and then that took on a life of its own, that story. So... Um, you know, the fact that he name checked Pasternak and Marshawn and then just said, like, we need our guys, um, you know, fill in the blanks. Like, Elias Pedersen plays a season low uh, in ice time, gets benched for part of the second period, and still played more than JT Miller did on the night. So it was a tough night for both Miller and Pedersen, obviously. Brock Besser, as quiet as he's been in a long, long time. Uh, again, plenty to go around that entire first unit power play. Uh, but I thought, you know, you could see, like, Rick Tockett, when he talked about uh, guys needing to want, you know, they got to want to play in these kinds of games. And they all said the right things before the game. Like, I think they understood the, the stakes and the significance. And that's why it surprised me. And this team hasn't surprised me for the wrong reasons very often this year. But uh, just the complete lack of, like, the performance just didn't match the expectation. And if you're a player, I think you, you would kill to be in that kind of game, one against two you know, the top two conference or the conference leaders, and it just didn't look the part from the Vancouver Canucks. So I thought Rick Tockett got his message across. I mean, he mentioned the fact that, hey, Jim Montgomery called out his team and they responded. And essentially, that's what I'm doing here. And, you know, we'll see how uh, the Canucks answer in an early start in Detroit on Saturday. And we were saying volume and and um, tone Man, he's he's got it. He's got it dialed pretty good, doesn't he? In just yep. terms of not sounding like a lunatic out there. <laughs> no, but you know he conveys his passion, and you can get the sense like how frustrated he is because he knows and he's seen mm -hmm. when the team has adhered to his systems and his structures and his staples, they've had success and they had a wild success like to get to the to top of the league. And so I think uh, he was disappointed that uh, they didn't rise to the occasion here. And you know I. I I kind of was hoping, I mean, he got asked a lot of questions and there were some good ones and some good answers there, but 
it was still hard as I watched his responses last night to figure out whether his frustration was more with the breakdowns or the fact that his team just didn't muster anything offensively. Forget the power plays that we talked about at uh, five on five, just, uh, you know, failed to 17 shots on goal. And, and I do think this is a mild concern right now, guys, is that, I mean, it's two games out of the all-star break. They acquire Elias Lindholm, but with Lindholm in the lineup, neither he, the new Elias or the old Elias has registered a shot on goal at five on five. Like Lindholm was brought in to prop up Elias Pettersson. And clearly uh, there is some chemistry still to be formed here that yeah, Lindholm had the power play goals the other night uh, and that was great. And he had a nice debut, but uh, like uh, Elias Pettersson, he was on the ice for all four goals last night and a complete non-factor, but at five on five, those two just have not found any sort of lockstep at this point. And of course, the other guy on the other wing there, Mikheyev, who's now up to 19 games, and I'm kind of tired of talking about him, but, uh, you know, the chemistry class is still very much in session with with these three. And I look, I was quite, I tweeted it out, but I was quite shocked, frankly, to see that nine games for Elias Pettersson without a five-on-five point, uh, you know, the bulk of the game is still played at five-on-five. And so he's had an incredible run since uh, January 1st with the, you know, I mean, all world through New Jersey and New York and Pittsburgh and the All-Star and everything else that he's done. But five on five, not a single point in nine games. Uh, that can't continue. Is it time long. for Hoaglander there, guys? I uh, I was going to ask him about McCann, but I guess I won't. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great substitute question. Is it time for, for Augie, for Hoaglander? I, I would say yes. I also wonder... Um, yeah, and, and that line, the third line, was the best of the bunch, as it has been on a lot of nights. But, again, this idea of keeping that line together uh, just because, like, if you believe that Connor Garland has used these last six weeks or whatever to ramp up his game, like, you know, could you look at him and give him an opportunity? Uh, because Dakota Joshua, again, the effort's there. He draws the penalty right off the hop. Like, they couldn't have asked for a better start last night. And, uh but, you know, it's six games now for Joshua without a goal, which isn't the end of the world. Uh, Garland's gone five. Teddy Bluger, I think, is up to 15 games without a goal, which, you know, is sort of who Teddy Bluger is. Uh, the month of December was a little bit of an outlier for him. Mm-hmm. But I, I just wonder, has that line you know, slid back even a little bit to the point that you would consider touching them? There was a while there where they felt untouchable because they were just in such a groove. But uh, whether it's Garland or whether it's Hoaglander, I would say, yeah, because what you're doing just isn't working right now. And whether it's message sending to Mikheyev or just giving him an opportunity in a different role to sort of regain his confidence, you know, the speed isn't there. Uh, but beyond that, like, I do wonder what his next goal would even look like because his shot has nothing on it right now. Uh, he looks reluctant to take shots and you're occupying that spot in the top six here. And if you're not able to get the job done, then you got to find somebody else that can. And they went out, they made the Lindholm deal. We'll see if they're done there. But I just think internally, uh, yeah, maybe it is time to shake things up just a little bit. Because really, if you go back to the end of the seven-game road trip uh, before the All-Star break, like that five-game homestand, they didn't play well. They they netted results. They got nine of 10 points, but like they haven't played a really complete thorough game where they have dominated an opponent in a while now. And so, you know, I've been riding power play for a long time. Um, but, you know, I, I do think if Rick Tockett is looking at this team, truthfully, 
and trying to figure out, you know, what's working and what isn't, I, I think he has to, I think he has to experiment. It's like he's given McKay of every opportunity here and it's just not happening for him. So it's not written in stone that he's got to play on the right side in the top six. Like you can bump him down and give somebody else a shot. Don't norm, uh, don't normally go here uh, because we hear it all the time when a good player is in a slump. But Blake and I received a text last night from someone who um, would know a thing or two about this, asking, "Is Elias battling something, and is it a groin injury?" He noticed how there was a weird short stride and looked like he was compensating, and 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 mentioned there's no way he's that much slower than Danton Heinen on that one race. Do you think there might be something afoot that Elias is playing through? Well, I think on that playing question, there were two things for me. One is it was the minute and a half shift. And so uh, Heinen, and I looked at the shift chart, Heinen scored the goal 17 seconds into his shift. So they got a change of their penalty killers and the Canucks first unit was out there for a while. And again, the thing that separates Elias Pedersen from most in this league is his cerebral power. Like, you know, he's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not going to bowl you over most nights, but he's thinking one and two steps ahead of you. And that's, you know, kind of his superpower. I hated the line that he took on Danton Heinen in the neutral zone. Like if he just puts his head down and races straight back and tries to cut him off closer to his own blue line, I think he can force Heinen to the outside, keep him on his backhand, but he makes a play in the neutral zone and it's all or nothing, and it turned out to be nothing, and essentially it's a breakaway at that point for Danton Heinen. So I didn't think it was the smartest play by Elias Pettersson in that moment. Uh, people have questioned his groin. I know Patrick Johnson at one point earlier this season in November. Uh, suggested yeah. that, and and Pettersson confronted him in the locker room one. I mean, he did it professionally and politely, but he took issue with the fact that Patrick was speculating that and said, to whoever your source is, is flat out wrong. So... Um, you know, is he protesting too much or, you know, was he trying to nip a story in the bud there? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I don't have an answer to you. I mean, everything we do, especially when they're on the road, you know, you're judging on a television monitor. It's anecdotal. Uh, he just looked off. He looked off um, from start to finish last night. Mm-hmm. But a month ago, he rolled through the New York area and looked like the best player in the National Hockey League. Like, it's just been a really weird six weeks that you can be one of the stars of the month in the NHL and have your coach call you out a a few days later. You go to the All-Star game, and now you go nine games without an even strength point. So, um, who knows? Like, I mean, it does sort of feel like a guy that probably is dealing with an awful lot, and we know that he is. Um, Whatever the case, uh, when he's off, you know, I think part of it is he set the bar so high for himself in this market that when he's off, it's so easy to see. And just optically, uh, it's noticeable because like on the fourth goal, and again, the fourth goal at that point, it really didn't matter in the hockey game. But, you know, another terrible read there. He's just kind of puck watching and drifting and let Saka get in behind him and a uh, relatively easy goal there. So uh, who knows? Uh, I'll give Elias Pettersson the benefit of the doubt. I'll give this hockey club the benefit of the doubt because for all the incredible statistics about the Vancouver Canucks this season, and it feels like there are more and more on a daily basis, guys, they have not lost back-to-back hockey games since the middle of November. Like, you just stop and think mm-hmm. about that where, like, consecutive losses. They happen all the time to everybody. The Vancouver Canucks have lost back-to-back twice all season, games three and four in Philly and Tampa, and then again, uh, Calgary and Seattle in the middle of November. So uh, they've earned the benefit of the doubt. They're allowed to have a stinker, give Boston credit. They were ready and, and can I get the rematch here on a Saturday night in a couple of weeks time and 
hopefully it's a better game and the Canucks are better prepared. But uh, I do think that I will give the Canucks a little leeway for one bad game here and see how they <laughs> respond. That said, you know, early starts, Eastern time zone, those haven't always brought out the best in the Vancouver Canucks. And against a good Detroit team, like I'll admit, I have kind of been sleeping on the Red Wings, but uh, the Detroit Red Wings are not a bad hockey club at all. So that's not going to be an easy bounce. Caps aren't going away either. It's tough. I'm just laughing because nobody, and I mean nobody, can carve them for 14 minutes so expertly as Jeff did and then say, I'll give them a little leeway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jeff, I'll add, they're the only NHL team not to lose. But the coach, row, the coach right? did the that exact continues. same thing. The coach went on an eight-minute rant and then acknowledged, but hey, we haven't lost in what 14, 13 games. <laughs> like it, it is yep. a it's a it's a weird game, mm-hmm. last night's game to analyze, isn't it, Jeff? Because it was bad. It was really bad. But when they haven't done, never mind the back-to-back losing, any regulation losing yeah. for a month. Man, it's so hard to be too up in arms all the same time. But it, it was that bad mm-hmm. as well that you do want to have some comment on it, right? It's weird. Well, and it was Boston. Yeah, right? like, sad. It yeah, was sort sad. of sad. People were like, you know, I'd lose every game if you could just beat the Leafs twice a year. <laughs> I think the same thing sort of happens with Boston. Yes. And yeah, and then for nothing, of course. Just like, <laughs> why did it have to be for nothing? We've been down that road uh, with the Bruins and shorthanded goals. I couldn't get on social oh, media at the time, boy. guys. How many tweets were about Corey Schneider starting in that game <laughs> midway through that game? Was that was that plentiful? Because I wanted to. I just couldn't get to my uh, Okay, phone. point me forward, Jeff. What do you think they're up against here with this back-to-back? Morning starts for us in Detroit and Washington. Yeah, well, and doing a little bit of preparation for this one. Like, uh, did you guys like the Red Wings are the highest scoring team in the Eastern Conference? They're fourth in the National Hockey League in goals per game. Like, I, like to bring it, I get that. And there are others. Dylan Larkin's having a decent season, but they've got like 11 guys in double digit goals. So they spread their offense around. Um, they've actually, they, and they haven't played since before the All Star break. So we'll see if that impacts, you know, their uh, finding their game. They've been practicing for a couple of days, but uh, there won't be a morning skate. So a little unnatural in that sense to get your first game action in a while and just jump right into it but uh yeah i mean back-to-backs here it'll be by the time they get to washington on sunday you know that'll be four games and six out of the break and uh again i just don't i don't start to finish i I haven't liked the canucks game for a little while now so certainly room for improvement from their top end guys and then you hope that uh, the depth guys fall in behind um and i would imagine that casey DeSmith gets the starting goal in in Detroit. And then you go back to Demco in Washington on Saturday. So um, there'll be challenges, uh, both of these games, um, but they can't worry about Washington right now. It's more about uh, trying to figure out a way. And I'm kind of curious to see uh, going back into Detroit, Philip Peronik goes back for the first time. Pia Suter was there. So it's a return to him for him. And I mean, the Canucks are littered with guys that have strong connections. Quinn, obviously U of M, Phil DiGiuseppe, a Michigan guy as well, but uh uh, he won't be playing, but uh, Ian Cole was born in Ann Arbor. Dakota Joshua is from Dearborn, suburb, suburb of uh, Detroit. So lots of guys with uh, strong connections there to Detroit. Whatever the motivation, all I know is that uh, they all have to dig down and be a whole lot better than they were on Thursday night. And maybe don't yeah. go down two goals early. Uh, that has been yeah. a recent pattern um, as well. Detroit with 10 double-digit scores, the same yeah. as the Vancouver Canucks, including Surrey's Michael hey, Rasmussen, including a defenseman, and it's not Murat Sire, it's Jake Wallman. A barn burner might be just with a doctor order, Jeff. Like They've played some heavier playoff games here in, in Carolina and Boston. Maybe uh, 
maybe just a freewheeling game where the highest score wins that maybe that's what they need right now to get a w uh yeah i mean hey whatever it takes right now just to try to find uh a little bit more of a groove a little bit more of saying uh, uh you know of getting guys into sync and especially lindholm and Patterson. like that's now what yeah. i'm watching pretty closely here is again it's their third game i don't think anybody's hammering the panic button you shouldn't even be looking for the panic button but I do want to see some signs of these two guys sorting it out, figuring it out, and getting into some sort of rhythm that is going to result in shifts in the offensive zone, shot generation. I mean, two games throughout of the All-Star break, guys, held to 19 and 17 shots as a team. And in fact, over the last five periods, they had a good first period in Carolina. I think they had 12 shots against the Hurricanes out of the break. And in five periods since then, uh, 24 shots on goal. So, uh, you know, yeah, you got to... Yeah. Got to find a way to get the shots up a little bit. And uh, again, too much passing around on the power play. Uh, and ultimately, uh, teams are pressuring them. Now. I, I do think some teams are starting to you know, maybe pick off uh, what other teams are doing in terms of pressuring the Canucks out high at the blue line, forcing them into some of those turnovers that are leading to opportunities. And I don't think you're going to get up shorthanded goals nightly. Uh, it is a bad run right now. I think that can be corrected. But I also think the teams are recognizing what's working for some of these teams that are scoring and countering against the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, hockey's about adjustments. Playoff hockey certainly is all about adjustments. So let's see what we're talking. Adam Foote and that coaching staff do uh, to make the necessary adjustments here. Do you go to two defensemen at some point just to settle things down? Or do you look at it the broader picture and say, this is a power play that is lights out good when it's on. And this is just a little bit of a blip that... Uh, you know, requires some attention more than anything else. Rank wide all weekend with Jeff mm -hmm. against the Red Wings and against the Capitals. Look forward to it. Jeff, thanks for this. We'll catch on Monday. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about uh, when mm -hmm. we do this uh, again on Monday. Oh, to the people. To the people. We, let's, yes. let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I missed the people there. It's been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. To the people we go and the world-famous inbox, all a presentation of great clips. Let's start with Thursday's poll question. Can the Canucks keep up this pace? 120 points. This was Quebec referendum, Bush-Gore territory. Oh, hanging chats? 51% said no. Cap space, Andy. 120 would be tied for the 11th best season in the 100-year history of the NHL. Hard to expect that to be the case, especially with the tougher second half of the season. And if the team starts resting guys like Demko and Miller down the stretch, it will be a challenge. Yeah. Possibility. I mean, I don't think they're likely going to be competitive for either first in the Pacific or first in the West. So I'm not sure they're going to have a lot of occasion to rest people, but that is a possibility. Orange Clark, this team just made me a believer. I still worry we take a step back after the season, but let this one ride, baby. There is something magical going on with these guys, and bolstering it for a run really just ups the stakes to get them to reach higher. We need to go. We need to for round one. Crypto Canuck, they just got better with Lindholm and will continue to try to do so. I don't see why not. And Fred the Alien, I hope so. Would be nice to witness that accomplishment.
Uh, more from the inbox, John and Canby Village. The NHL auditing the hit statistic. Is there any way to see the before and after to identify which arenas oh. were the most egregious no, homers no, no, when John. charting no, John. hits? No, John. Come on. This is the NHL. This is Gary Bettman's league. We cover up. We cover up. That's what, what we do. What we did see, though, if you look on Twitter and uh, and search, uh, use the search function here, you'll find many of these stats folk have audited and shown graphs of the highs and lows and how you know, who lost hits, who gained hits. And overall, by the way, people gained hits. Adam, the former bath guy, tell me I'm wrong, but a good way to spice up the all-star draft would be have a winning fan from the host city toss sticks, toss sticks aside going back to the old street hockey days. Yeah, I guess, but then you just play the game with mismatched teams. Like imagine so. it was a stacked team. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, let's go to on whether the loss to the Bruins revealed anything. This is Mike who says the power play getting burned on shorthanded goals a lot lately. Bit concerning. I'm kind of glad they didn't amp it up into playoff mode and risk injury. Staying healthy is more important than those two points. Talk it smart. Played checkers to get the team in a position to play chess now into the playoffs. Lawrence with more on that. As it gets deeper into the season, the games get tougher, so I don't expect them to keep up this pace. However, I do expect them to continue playing consistently good hockey for the remainder of the season. So a little bit of concern there seeping in for Lawrence. On who scares you most, our Wednesday poll question, uh, Vegas, Oilers, or nobody... Both are good teams and could beat us, but you have to beat the best to be the best. Right. Bring them on, says Nautism. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of look at it, um, sort of look at it like a grand slam in tennis when you're a top seed. You know you're going to face somebody eventually. You just want to get through that those early rounds without a lot of effort. I think for the Canucks, understand. Yeah, it might be great to get a. Nashville, a week in Calgary, a crack and a somebody like that in the first round. But know this, rounds two through four, if you're so lucky, are going to be heavyweight tilts. Yes. Attrition. So at best, you're only going to be able to delay matters for one round. And, 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 and really, if you don't and you get a heck of a team in round one, so be it. Like, you can't go into it scared. But I, I don't think they will as long as they win the division. If they win the division, I think they're going to get a favorable draw. I don't think there's a great team that's really at risk of, sli- of sliding down. Mm-hmm. So they're, as long as they win the division, they're okay, and that's what they'll have to play for. Tales of Symphonia says this team can't deal with physicality or speed very well. In which case you would be worried against Vegas? Um, Speed, maybe. Well, Physic- physicality. I don't know. I, I think this team is a little bit, you know, tougher than people give them credit for. The defense, they've got three giants on defense when healthy. Yeah. And I, I honestly, and I know Tyler Myers doesn't play physically every night. When needed to, he can play physically. And Tyler Myers knows he doesn't have many playoff runs left in him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I bet you Tyler Myers in the playoffs will be pretty good. I, I just look at it, you know, Vegas is going to line up something in the order of seven 200-pounders up front and five 200-pounders on the blue line. There's 
a lot of size on that Vegas team yep. when they're fully healthy. And, of course, they know how to win. I think we need to Playoff see more hockey. Vegas versus Canucks here in this in this spring to really know what that matchup looks like. I, I don't know that we know what that matchup looks like. Rob says, I hope not. I want them to leave something on the table for the start of the playoffs and not pull a 2023 Boston Bruins. I hear you there. On another all-in move, which we asked on Tuesday, uh, don't have the name here. Basically, there's never been lightning in a bottle like this year. They have exactly four seasons in 50 years that are even close. Add depth, no more uh, no more all-ins. Mm-hmm. Paul says, go all-in, win the cup. Uh, Patrick Johnson on Tuesday, no, on Thursday, we asked about Phil Kessel. Uh, Bakhalis says, I don't want Kessel even if he does not cost assets. Also, I can see a world in which they trade for Vitrano. If they do, I think consider trading Petey for major assets and be able to keep the team intact. Wow. Well, as we've talked about with Pedersen, and I know they continue to say there's a, you know, we got another year of club control. Theoretically, they're right. Or I guess practically. Theoretically, they're right. Practically, you need an answer by the draft. You need him on a contract by the draft, worst case, free agency. If for whatever reason he is unwilling to sign or commit longer term, yes. Then you are in a world where you have to consider a trade of Elias Pettersson. And two comments on his line. Uh, Dave says, I'd like to see Hoaglander with Lindholm and Pettersson, the how sweet it is line. Uh, Mike chiming in. McKayev scored 10 goals in 32 games. Whatever happened in the last 17 is a real concern, but we know he can do it. I think he just needs to have two good nights with goals and he'll bounce back. The real trick is, are we going to risk him getting cold again? Frankly, if they trade for Vitrano or Henrique, it's not an awful idea. See, Vitrano's going to cost you something. He's under contract next year. Yep. Like, Vitrano is going to cost you either a very good prospect or another high pick or a combination thereof. And if you're good. Henrique is a different matter. Uh, Henrique is a very handsomely paid middle six center who I think Anaheim knows they're going to retain on to up the acquisition, um, to up the trade return. But I, I just I don't see Henrique being in the same tier acquisition no. cost as Vitrano. And if you're not paying, to mention one's a center and one's a wing. If you're paying that much for Vitrano, mm-hmm. you'd pay just a tad more and get Konechny. Wow. If you can get Konechny. Yeah. That is like my dream ultimate target within reason. Well, that, that would cost you oh, like yeah. Romaki. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. And for I sure. Would, yeah. Now, I think he's got, what, two years left? He's got next year left. Just okay. next Just year. next year. Yeah. yeah. But he, man, he checks every single box. Playoff time, like that's a guy you go to battle with. To the people we go, brought to you by Great Clips with more than 4,400 hair salons throughout the United States and Canada. Great Clips, the world's largest hair salon brand and the official hair salon of the National Hockey League. Salons locally owned and operated, open seven days a week. There are 37 of them in Vancouver and the lower mainland. For more info, Check out greatclips.com. Great Clips. It's going to be great. (laughs) 
Alexa Carson Price from Wall Center. And before we get into our Super Bowl picks, NFL honors last night, Lamar Jackson wins the MVP. Big night for the Cleveland Browns. Miles Garrett, Kevin, not Steven Stefanski. You hear that? They misread the winner. Very Oscar style. They call them Steven Stefanski. Really? <laughs> Kevin Stefanski, coach of the year. Joe Flacco, comeback player, and uh, Jim Schwartz, the assistant coach of the year. Um, Hall of Fame class. Dwight Freeney, Julius Peppers, the defensive ends, Patrick Willis, the former 49ers linebacker, Andre Johnson, the Houston Texans wide receiver. Devin Hester, my guy from the Bears, the first return specialist to ever be inducted. And uh, Randy Gratishar, a fine linebacker back in the 70s with the Broncos. And, uh, boy, this was really uh, heart-tugging for uh, me and other Bears fans. Steve McMichael, who is... Well, he is near death, suffering from ALS, and was elected in the senior category with a bunch of his teammates surrounding him bedside as his wife, uh, Misty, filled in on stage to accept on his behalf. So, anyways, good Hall of Fame class. I know some people are upset Antonio Gates didn't get in. I thought Antonio Gates would absolutely get in as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, Jared Allen misses out again, the uh, fine Kansas City, Minnesota defensive end. And then there's this. We mentioned uh, a few days ago that something very interesting happening at the University of Washington where Pete Carroll's son is the offensive coordinator and Bill Belichick's son is the defensive coordinator. And Thursday, Huskies head coach Jed Fish confirmed that, yeah, Belichick is going to be actively helping the Huskies this year. He's going to be around throughout the season periodically. We, we mentioned He has he, some time on his He'll hands. be a guardian angel of sorts. Oh, my God. It's, uh, I'm worried for the Huskies' <laughs> opponents this year. <laughs> you got me with some of the best set, one of the best sets of eyes in the history of the game, breaking down your film and deciding. Oh, okay, here's where we can get at him, son. Uh, okay, Super Bowl pick. Who you like here? Give me a score. Um, I'm gonna go pretty, pretty uh, safe. Uh, I will go 28-21. I'll stay on the sevens. Kickers will be quiet. 28-21 for the Chiefs. Okay. I, You know, Rashman Manani said to us yesterday, picked picks San Francisco and said they're they're just a better team. And I, I don't dispute that if you go full roster, San Francisco is better than Kansas City. They have better running back, better set of receivers. Uh, I'd take Bosa over Jones, although they're both fine players. I'd take their linebackers over Kansas City, although they're both pretty good Groups And, of course, Kansas City's had the trouble at offensive tackle. Joe Tooney, the uh, fantastic all-pro guard, is going to miss this game. But I can't get around a few things. Number one, Kansas City is vastly superior at quarterback. And as we talked about with Arash, we haven't seen many game management quarterbacks or mid-tier or even upper-tier but not superstar quarterbacks win very often. Um, not to mention the right side of San Francisco's offensive line just isn't very good. All the metrics show that that's a weak spot. So with the better quarterback, with some, you know, Kansas, San Francisco, they're good in their secondary, but I don't think they're great. So I'm going to go Kansas City here, and um, I'm going to go 31-17. 
Ooh, more decisive. Yeah, well, I, I, I fear this could be an 80s-style Super Bowl where you can leave after Usher at halftime. Really? Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, we haven't seen a super blowout in a while. No, I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I, I, uh, I, th- I, th- I think guys like McCaffrey keep. The, yeah, I mean he's a sensational player. Uh, you know, he can balance things out and slow things down, and and that's the thing when you're running as much as the 49ers might run, shortens the game quite mm-hmm. a bit. I think it'll be tighter. Yeah, I just I worry because like. Kansas City's defense is playing damn good right now. San Francisco's isn't. Like that's something you absolutely need if you're San Francisco, knowing you're less dynamic uh, in the passing game or at least at the at the quarterback position. Okay, errors and omissions from yes from Thursday's program and beyond. Uh, on me yesterday, it was Austin Matthews versus Thatcher Demko at the skills competition, not Sidney Crosby. And there are 21 former Bell Media stations in British Columbia, not 16 that are being bought. Uh, 16 markets, but some of them mm-hmm. have more than one station that's being bought. So 21 stations affected and being bought up in BC uh, that are formerly belong to Bell Media and then um, hidden fees. We got a note on this. We were talking about the hidden fees. We uh, read the tweet from President Biden, of all people, a few days ago, saying his administration is going after the oh, hidden on, for fees ticket brokers. Yeah. on ticket brokers and uh, on ticket sites. So you morph that into travel sites, and our friend Yerke says that is not an example. Things like... Seat selection luggage is not examples of drip pricing, no, I'm not, because I, they're optional. That was you that said that, that dropped that dropped that in. I was talking about um, because every airport has an airport tax, mm-hmm. um, and there's all these other uh, little fees mm-hmm. that when you look at your your ticket, even if you're not selecting a seat, even if you're not selecting luggage, right. you look at all the airport fees and stuff that uh, gas fee, gas fees, all these sort of things. Those aren't on the price. If it's a mandatory charge, yeah. other than the tax, yeah. a resort fee, a uh, airport fee, a yes, whatever they want to call the fee, it's on every ticket. That is drip pricing. That's right. And those are on. And we apparently already have laws about this, so the U.S. is catching up. Well, it's still not good. Like you go to Air Canada, if you if it says the ticket's three ninety nine at the checkout, it's way more than that. It's not just sales tax. There's other stuff there too. Like they they still do that. So it's uh, it's not in full force. Maybe on tickets, but not on not on airlines. Why do you think we haven't gone to a model where just the price is the price? Like tax in just show exactly what the consumer is paying everywhere. In a lot of places in Europe, it is. No, I know. Like, that's it's just, the thing. Whatever's in on the places side, around the world, that's what it exactly. is. Exactly. Whatever is on the tech is yeah. what you pay. Yeah. It'd be so much easier if we knew that. But they suck you I in. Also, it's only that, and then you get to well, the price. I, I love some of, some of my American friends come up because, of course, they're used to lower sales tax, and they'll see an item and go, oh. And they're like, wait a second. How is that 18% more expensive? Well, we have taxes here. Yeah, we do. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody.
Wait a sec. Oh, you've you got more. more. Oh, Raptors pick to the Spurs is a top six protected, not top four. As Matt. I've seen conflicting info on oh. that, but you're right. Okay, well, I'll, I'll accept it. I'll accept it. And do we touch on Yerky? Yeah, yes. we did. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Which which one? Oh boy, <laughs> the about the uh, the hidden uh, drip pricing. pricing. Oh well, there's more. Oh jeez, oh, you're okay. You're you know, on Blake Tuesday really for referring to a court being able to exonerate players by finding them bracket yeah, innocent. We, I think we dealt with that, didn't we? I don't think we did. We uh, talked about it. Very true. Very yeah. true. Yes. Not guilty. Don't need to go any further on that. No. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us, Rinkwide Vancouver, Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Of course, live daily, 1130 a.m. on YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.